Hello and welcome to the Govern This Podcast. This is a political podcast for non-political people where we ask the simple and ignorant questions about our country and government and get them answered. In this episode, I talk with Daniel Westlake, a professor of political science at the University of Victoria, and we get into the weeds with electoral reform. anything yet. Okay, so BC has a referendum coming up this fall on our electoral system. And I want to know what the deal was with the different types of voting systems uh, that we could end up with and the process that we go through to get us there. I was connected with Daniel Westlake, a political science professor at the University of Victoria, who teaches this topic, and I was able to drag him down to give me the skinny on it all. In this chat, I do my best not to get too much into what's happening right now in BC, current events-wise. I want to stick to the nuts and bolts of the different types of voting systems and the process of how electoral reform happens, uh, why we get there, why a place would want to change the voting system, um, and the different types. But we needed to do a current events one, and we got together after this as well, and we dug into more of the what's happening in the climate in BC here, and our preparations and plans for our referendum in the fall, and what the government's doing to get us all ready for that. But first, here's the chat with Daniel Westlake on what electoral reform looks like, and the different kinds of voting systems we might be looking at. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, Daniel Westlake, to the Governance Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, I heard about you from one of your students, and I got really excited because we have a referendum coming up for our voting system here in BC, and I don't know anything about it. So I want to have you on to clarify a bunch of stuff. So we're going to get into that. But uh, let's just have a little background on you first. You're for, you work at, uh, at UVic, right? Yeah, I'm teaching political science right now at the University of Victoria. I was over at UBC for the last seven, eight years working on a master's, then a PhD in political science. So I'm, I'm in academia now. I'm, I'm hoping to stay in academia, but there's kind of a period between finishing a PhD and getting a permanent job where you kind of bounce from place to place. That's about where I am now. Oh, okay. And, and yeah, I... Uh, did research on kind of multiculturalism and political parties and um, the way electoral systems um, change the way that parties respond to immigrants and minorities. So that's kind of hmm. where I come at electoral reform from. Okay. So so what is, what is electoral reform and why would we need it? Okay, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, with any kind of election, you've got – so you've got people voting. Right. Right. And you've got a number of people that are elected to a parliament to then pass laws. You've got to have some way of translating um, what people vote for or kind of the votes that people cast into an arrangement of seats and, and, and a government in parliament. And there's different ways you can do that. You okay. can, as we do in First Past the Post, group people into districts and say, you know, whoever's got the most votes in this district, that person goes to parliament and the party that they're from gets kind of that seat. And 
if the party has more seats than any other than the other parties or has a majority of seats, they get to form government. Another thing we can do is we can look at the entire country, or we can even look at just subsets of the country or subsets of a province and say, well, if 30% of the people voted for this party, then this party gets 30% of the seats. Or if we talk about a region, say if 30% of the people in Vancouver voted for this party, um, that party gets 30% of the seats from Vancouver. It's a different way of doing it. And there's kind of a range of different ways that you can configure it and ways of different way, range of different ways you can combine, combine those two different practices to create different ways of converting votes cast into an election into a distribution of seats um, in parliament. Okay, so so I've been hearing a lot of, like, over the past year, and actually before that, when we had the provincial election, um, people were screaming about our voting system. And the first past the post is what we have right now, right? Yeah. So they were saying, and actually when I started to learn about that, it sounded a little strange because because I when I what I always thought of voting was whoever however many people vote that's who gets in but that's not actually how it is right kind of, kind of. <laughs> so it depends what you mean by however many people vote well like um, like if if uh 60% people vote for someone then that person gets in but that's not just doesn't yeah, go straight yeah. across um, in, so in our system. We can think about voting in the country as a whole, which is not the way we do it now, where, where, but I think it's the way that you're explaining, where we say 60% of the people in the country voted for this person, therefore 60% get in. Right. Way, the way we think about it now, and I had a friend way back in undergrad who described it this way. It's almost like we have um, in BC 87 separate different elections in okay. small regions in Canada, it'd be 338 separate different elections, where rather than looking at the entire country, we look at a particular district, and or a, we often call them ridings in Canada. I, right. I might flip between terminology, riding district, it's, it's the same thing, okay. it's used differently in different places. Um, and whoever wins the most votes in that district gets to go in. Now, what this means is because... We're all, I mean, we're only electing one person out of the district, and there's lots of people who would vote for somebody else that didn't win more than the other other candidates. It means that you can have a very different number, or a party can win a very different number of seats, or get kind of more support in the legislature than they got support nationally. Okay. Um, but that's because in a first-past-the-post system, we aren't really counting the votes nationally. We're counting them in particular districts. Okay. So yeah, it it yeah each so each person or MLA that wins that district or uh, riding, then the party that has the most MLAs takes power for the province, right? Most in, in most system. of the time. Um, so this is going to kind of move us away a little bit from electoral reform, but oh, okay. I, I think I think it's okay. I, I think it's worth doing just kind okay. of because it it relates and is kind of a thing that's worth. Um, Worth, worth keeping track of. Okay. Um, so, first past the post usually creates, but not always, usually creates majority governments. Right. Um, the kind of general, or, or kind of the rule for kind of Canadian parliaments that to be government, you have to win at least, or have the support of 50% plus one of MLAs provincially or members of parliament federally. Which means 50 Present plus one of ridings. Exactly. Okay. Um, most of the time under first past the post, um, 
a party will in an election win more than 50% plus one, and then they get to be government because, mm-hmm. and in Canada, it's almost always the case. Um, if everybody who's an MLA for a particular party supports them being in government, then they'll have a majority. It gets trickier when no party wins more than 50% plus one. And that's what we had this last election. Exactly. Right. Um, then the common thing in Canada is that the party with the most seats will try to govern, but they can only govern so long as they have the support of um, one of the other parties um, to, to make sure that they have at 50% plus one voting in favor of their, their kind of major bills, their important legislation. And that's why um, the Greens had the swaying... Well, not quite. No. Because the last election, the BC Liberals actually won more ridings than the NDP or the Greens. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get either the Greens or the NDP to support them. So they had no way of getting more than 50% plus one of the seats. Hmm. In those situations, this is a very rare situation in Canada, but it happens as we saw in British Columbia. Um, it's possible for a party that finished second place if they can if they can get the support of one of the other parties so that they have 50% plus one of the seats for them to end up forming government. And that's what happened in British Columbia. The Liberals tried to, to pass a major piece of legislation. It's the throne speech is the first piece of legislation any of any government ever puts forward. Um, the NDP and the Greens voted against it. They said, no, we didn't want that. And then the Greens said, we'll support an NDP government. So the NDP got a chance to put forward a throne speech and the BC Greens said, yes, we'll vote for that. And so they got to be the government. That's rare in Canada. Most of the time, um, kind of the majority of the time, it'll be a majority government and therefore it's kind of easy. Right. The, the party's in- assured that they're going to get 50% plus one. Um, most of the time that there's a minority government in Canada, when no party wins 50% plus one of the seats, usually the party with the most seats kind of tries to to stay and, and hold on to government for as long as they can. Um, and usually they'll govern until the next election, though often they'll have an election early because they can't, they can't govern as long as a majority government would. Okay. Um, if I can add just one thing here. Yeah. Um, the reason this is all, I think, quite closely related to electoral reform is that the electoral system you choose or you have in a country will influence whether you're likely to have a majority government or not. So if we change the electoral system, it's quite likely um, that we're going to end up with more situations where no party has a majority. Where no party has majority? Yes. Is that good? Well, I mean, so that's a situation we have in BC now, right? Yeah. Um, and and I, I like with a lot of the stuff you'll notice, I'll do the kind of on one hand, but on the other no, hand. That, that's exactly um, what I want. Yeah. 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 So uh, the advantage of majority governments is you know who's in power. Um, there's no kind of haggling over the coal, over like what a party will have to give up in terms of what they want to do. Mm-hmm in order to to get their legislation passed. Basically, um, like we have in the federal government right now, where the Justin Trudeau's liberals have a majority, they can look at what they run on, um, ran on the election. They can then try to implement that. And they don't need to worry about negotiating with the conservatives or the NDP or the Greens um, to get their support in order to pass their legislation. Similarly, when we're looking at um, kind of evaluating them, the liberal government's responsible for basically everything they do. Right. If the liberal government breaks a promise or if, you know, some, they screw up something in government, they're, they're responsible for it because they're the only party in government. 
Right. So that, that, that's kind of the upside. Um, there are downsides. One of them being they didn't. I mean, it's very, very rare in any country in any election that one party will get more than fifty percent of the votes nationally. So this often means putting in a majority government, giving a lot of power to a government that doesn't have the support of 50% of the people across the country. Um, it also means you don't get compromised between parties. So the flip side, if you have minority governments or what are more common in proportional systems, coalition governments, where two parties formally say we're going to work together and they both commit to be part of government. So not only are they just kind of supporting each other, as is what's happening in BC now, but the governing party is actually bringing um, the the second or the third place party into coalition. So they're giving ministries and they're giving them a, a quite strong seat at the table when it comes to determining policy. Now that creates lots of cooperation. It means you're probably going to get more voters represented in government because not only do you have the voters that voted for the party that is in government, the, lar- the largest party, you also get, get the voters for the party that's kind of supporting them and in coalition with them. Okay. The danger there is it's harder to tell who's responsible for what. Um, right. Under the current situation in BC, for example, the NDP don't do something or if they don't follow through on one of their promises. They can always turn around and say, well, you know, we couldn't get the support of the Greens for that. And if you give us a majority <laughs> or if you give us more support, then we'll get it done the next time. Um, and so that is a little bit harder to um, to know whether a government's accountable. It's also a less stable government, right? Um, mm-hmm. If one party decides, you know, we're done with this coalition or we're done with this agreement where we're going to support each other, then you don't have a government anymore. And you either have to um, find some other arrangement of parliament that'll work or some other arrangement of party agreements that'll work, or you end up with another election. Yeah, it's, I, I remember someone saying once that when you have a majority government – yeah, like one person's power and, and more gets done. But it's not, it's what they want sort of thing or whatever. But when you have a minority government or a coalition government, less stuff gets done, but it's more fair or across the board or something like that. And that's a hard, <laughs> it almost sounds like you should go back and forth <laughs> constantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But yeah. that, 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 that I think that's a, that's a good way, kind of a good structure to start with. Right. Um, a lot of times, there are coalitions can, that can work wonderfully, and there are coalitions that are absolutely disasters. Hmm. Um, and it really depends on how fractured kind of the voters are. If we look at, say, a country like Germany prior to the last couple of elections, it generally had two large parties. So on the kind of center right, the Christian Democrats, and on the center left, the Social Democrats. And one would, would none of them would ever win a majority of seats. Germany, by the way, has a proportional system, so it's not we're not okay. going to see majority governments in Germany. Um, but they won enough that they could get one of the other small parties, usually the Greens for the Social Democrats, and um, basically the Free Democrats or the Liberals for the Christian Democrats. And they could fashion a coalition that kind of made sense and that, that functioned very well. Um, you can go over to Belgium where, I mean, the largest party in Belgium will win like 20% of the seats in parliament. Hmm. Or, or Israel's got the same issue where the largest um, party in Israel will win something like 30%. And they need three or four parties to support them, often that have very different views. Um, and so the coalitions are really hard to hold together and can be really fractured and can be very difficult for them in those systems to get to get things done. So Sounds can, like a lot more work, like to do anything. Yes, um, yeah, because you need to convince other parties that may 
very strongly disagree with you on an issue um, to support you on that particular issue. Hmm. Okay, so let's go back a bit now. Okay. Um, so NBC, we're going to be having a referendum on our electoral system in the fall, right? Yeah. Okay. So so many ways we could go about this here, but I think maybe the first thing to do is, is it possible to say quickly why we are having it here in BC and then go into the different types of systems there are? Yeah, I, okay. I think that might be a good place to start. Um, there's kind of a cynical and a non-cynical answer to this. Okay. Um, the non-cynical answer is there is a substantial portion of the population. I don't think it's, I don't know whether it's a majority or not. I guess we'll see, we might see in the referendum. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of how good a, a sense we'll get from the referendum. But who are frustrated under first past the post, who think for a variety of reasons um, that it's a problematic system and they don't feel represented by the system. Okay. So that's the non-cynical answer. Okay. Um, the cynical answer, and, and this is true for every electoral system, Every electoral system advantages certain parties and disadvantages others. Mm. Um, the Green Party in particular is disadvantaged by a first-past-the-post system. It's very hard for them to win seats under this system, and they tend to be underrepresented in um, the legislature as compared to what their vote is across the province. Right. Right now, they hold the balance of power. So it's in their interest And they have to, three seats. Yeah. I mean, that, but I mean, this is a result of it being a minority government. Right. Um, so they have an incentive to push for a referendum and the NDP probably gain an advantage from a proportional system too. Um, this isn't ironclad, but there's a tendency for center left parties to do, um, a little bit better under proportional systems than under first past the post. And we can talk about this in more detail kind of later on, but it just has to do with the way their vote tends to be distributed, um, geographically. Hmm. Um, so they tend to do a little bit worse under first past the post system. So they they have and, and they it was part of their campaign platform to have a referendum and to support uh, proportional representation in that referendum. Um, so we've got two parties in power that want this, and I would argue, and in the case of the Green Party, definitely benefit from a sh- uh, from a change to a proportional system. And in the case of the NDP, I think probably benefit from a change to a system. So okay. the non-cynical is there are some people out there that want it, and there the cynical is there's some parties that benefit from it. Oh, so that, <laughs> okay. Have we always had proportional representation in BC? So we don't have proportional right now. We have, have first-past-the-post. Right, first post. Right, first past the post. Um, yeah. No, there's two elections in the 1950s where we used a system called alternative vote. Oh, Now, okay. um... Under first-past-the-post, it is just whoever has the most vote wins. Okay. So that means you don't need 50%. If there are three or four parties running and you win 35% of the vote and somebody else wins 25 and somebody else wins 10, you win with 35% of the vote. Right. Alternative vote, you instead of just kind of voting for one candidate, you rank all your candidates and you need 50% to win. So if nobody has 50% of the vote after counting everybody's first-place choice... Um, then we take the last place candidate, get rid of them. And for the people that voted for the last place candidate, we look at what their second choice is. And we give their vote to whoever their second choice was. Oh. And we go through that until somebody has 50%. So now, just pass the buck to that. <laughs> well, it, it's a way of making sure that um, whoever's elected in an individual seat um, has 50% of the vote. 
mm-hmm. it doesn't it's still a disproportional system so you're still going to get parties with more representation than they have votes across the province and parties with less representation than they have votes across the province mm-hmm. the thing in the 1950s and this is this will show kind of the cynicism that there is around electoral systems um the liberals and conservatives were really concerned about um the ccf which was the party that kind of preceded the NDP. Okay. So they were concerned that if you had liberals and conservatives um, running just a first-past-the-post system, voters would vote for the liberals and voters would vote for the conservatives and they would split. And the CCF would win a bunch of seats. And they didn't want that to happen. Hmm. Um, so they introduced an alternative vote system in order to prevent that from happening. Essentially, the idea was the liberals would put the conservatives as their second choice, the conservative voters would put the liberals as their second choice. And even if there were more first choice voters for the NDP or for the CCF at the time, um, then there were liberals or conservatives, they'd be able to combine to beat on the CCF. Now, it didn't happen like that. Um, There was another party, the Social Credit, who a bunch of the CCF people had as their second choice, and a bunch of liberals and conservatives also had as their second choice, and the Social Credit won a bunch of seats um, because they had more second choice votes. But but yeah, I mean, that's kind of... um, detailed history that probably is is beyond what we need for that. <laughs> no but but it's good to know that like so we have tried different things before yeah um has canada always because it's first past post two canada's always used first past always post. okay yeah. um and this referendum will only affect uh, the provincial elections yeah. right yeah so if you want to change like the federal or even civic you have to do a referendum for those so for the federal and provincial yes so every province gets to control their own election law um okay. and every the federal government gets to control their election law okay the cities are more complicated because the cities are they're under the jurisdiction of the provinces okay so the province technically could change a city's election law they're probably not going to do it um but they could and if you were to change the election law in a city, say Victoria or Vancouver, you would need the British Columbia government to give their okay. Okay. So it's not, uh, they can't do it by themselves, but they could get told what to do. Yeah. It's kind of like a parent and yeah. a kid thing. <laughs> Essentially, in all things, the provinces are equal to the federal government, but the cities aren't equal to the provinces. Um, <laughs> so the cities are kind of the responsibility of the provinces. Okay. Okay. So, so... Th- so the alternative, I got a little confused in there. <laughs> um, maybe we'll just go through the different. Uh, well, we okay. We had a reform before, right? Like or a referendum before. We had two referendum, two referendums actually. And yeah, recently ish. Yep. But they didn't go over. I didn't even know about them, and I would have um, had to have voted on them. Both both ended up failing. The first one, and I'm going to be hazy, actually. I, I forgot the exact dates of them. But okay. early 2000s, we had one. Um, both of them were on a system called single transferable vote, which is a really complicated version of proportional representation. Um, that That's a type of yeah, system? Yeah. So proportional representation isn't really a system. It's a whole bunch of systems. So, okay. Um, so it's a type of systems... Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. So we can talk about proportional representation, but there's there's four or five ways of doing it. There's probably three that are worth talking about in the British okay. Columbia context. Okay. Um. But yeah, this essentially the way that you get a party's seats to equal their votes. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. Right. Um. But we had two referendums on STV. 
Um, the first one had the support of 59% of voters, or like 57 or 59% of voters, and more than 50%. But before the referendum, they had set a threshold of 60% for it to pass. Okay. And it didn't reach the threshold. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, there was more than 50%. Um, so there's clearly support for this, but it wasn't, didn't meet our high threshold. So let's do this again. And then it, it didn't even come close. It was on, I think it was, um, high 30s, maybe low 40s in terms of how many people voted for reform. Um, so we've had a couple of referendums in BC. Neither of them have passed. They both had thresholds that were quite high in terms of what, how many people would need to vote for a change of system for it to be considered, um, a system that passed. Okay. So I'm so tempted to go into what's going on in BC, but, uh, let's, let's go into the different types because we already know that we're having one here. Um, and I guess, the reason why we're having one is there's parties and people that are screaming on Twitter about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And maybe that's why we're having, it's happening more now just because social media and more people can say the squeaky wheel thing, right? Mm, I mean, the the calls for electoral reform go back further than that. Mm. Um, It's always been kind of an issue kind of on the back burner uh, of politics. In BC Um, or in general. I mean, mean, uh, this has been something that's come up federally. I mean, Nobody's, it's never had enough support until kind of the last election federally for it to become a central part of the debate. But there have always been people who really care about it, who push for it. Okay. And again, going back to BC, we had electoral reform referendums in in the early 2000s and mid 2000s. So it's it's always something that's kind of in the background of politics, Uh, essentially because there's always, there's been for quite some time, a significant number of people who felt that their votes aren't being represented under the current system. Um, there's probably, if we were to change a significant number of people who would feel that their votes aren't represented adequately under any system that was changed to. So that's, there's going to be people on both sides of that. Um, and there's always parties that feel like they could do better, um, if the system changed. And they're probably right. There are always parties that could do better mm-hmm. were they fighting an election under a different electoral system. Right. Okay. And, and I imagine that in different systems, there would be more parties that would be seen. Or, or like like have a presence, right? Like right now, like that's one thing I noticed about this last election. There's a bunch of parties I'd never heard of. Like yeah. Libertarians and I can't remember some other ones. But once I, like I was, thought it was NDP and Greens and like with the three, right? And liberals, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm skeptical of whether, I mean, the parties that are quite small under the current system tend to be very small. Mm-hmm. So they just may be too small to be affected by any change to an electoral system. Okay, you might see parties emerge um, that we don't have under the system. So the classic thing that's talked about in BC is with the BC Liberals, who are actually a coalition of of two parties, or not two parties, but two kind of organized or two two ideological groups, maybe okay. the way to put it. <laughs> um, people who are kind of center right federal liberals, yeah. so people who um, aren't particularly socially conservative. Um, but they like their low taxes. They don't want to spend a huge amount on so like like on 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 government services. Um, and then people who are federal conservatives, people who also don't want to spend a lot on social services and want low taxes, but are also quite socially conservative. Okay. Um, there's certainly a fear amongst some BC liberals that if they move to a proportional system, that coalition would break apart, and that you would get kind of a BC liberals and a BC conservatives that were quite strong and competitive. Um. And so you might see parties like that emerge. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So let's get off the BC train for a second because I just keep wanting to go further in it. 
Um, let's talk about your choice, either the different types of systems we could have, um, or how do you pull off a referendum? I think we should start perhaps with the different types of systems. Okay. That's Sounds probably the, 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 the best starting point. Um, before talking about each system, usually what I do is I, I break these down into kind of three, three things that are different about each system. Okay. Um, and, and the first is, is I'm going to use fancy terms and then explain the fancy terms. So what yeah, we call, I might, I might interrupt you on okay, that too. <laughs> what we call district magnitude, which is a fancy, kind of a fancy way of saying how many people are elected in each riding or in each district. Okay. Um, so we can break the country down into, or the provinces. We talk about in British Columbia, 87 different kind of districts with equal population. Um, and we can elect one person. Now, that would be considered having a district magnitude of one. Um, but we can think about having um, larger ridings. So we can take four of those ridings together and say that we're going to elect four people out of that now single riding. Okay. So st- instead of saying, and we can make this as big as we want. So if we wanted to be really radical about this, we can say, look, the entire province is one district. Everybody in the province votes for the same people. Isn't that kind of what first past the post well, is? Well, no, no. Because <laughs> first past the post, we're saying um, we're going to break the province down into 87 little districts. Yeah. And everybody in that district is going to elect one person. And it's going to be a different person from every district. Okay. On the other extreme, we can say the entire province is one district and we're going to have 87 people are going to be elected out of that single district. So rather than voting for, say, Jane Smith in Victoria, you're voting for the NDP in British Columbia and the NDP has a list of 87 people. And depending oh. on how many um, how many votes they win, they'll get a certain number of that 87 into Parliament. I think that's probably how I thought voting was yeah so then <laughs> like yeah you vote that party into power and then they just yeah their thing. yeah but no you're voting for like jane smith and in, in, i mean victoria's multiple ridings but say in victoria swan lake or, or in, in victoria beacon hill right um and so and so yeah you're a whole different way of kind of thinking about this just in terms of district magnitude in terms of where we're voting are we voting as a province are we voting as a region are we voting as like this really small district that that's the size of kind of a 50,000 person neighborhood? Okay. Um, so that's district magnitude. That, that creates a whole bunch of questions for me. Okay. Like, of, of like the benefits of that. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, we'll, I'll well let's, let's kind of hold on those to, <laughs> yeah. to, to uh, until we start talking about the individual systems. Yeah. yeah. The second thing we can talk about is called ballot structure. Um, this is basically what do you do when you vote? Um, under the current, and, and again, there's, there's different ways of doing this. You can put a bunch of names on the ballot. This is kind of the first past the post system um, where you have, to take our kind of Jane Smith example, Jane Smith, who is the NDP candidate from Victoria Beacon Hill. And you would vote for Jane Smith. Right. So you're not, I mean, you're voting for a party in the sense that that person's a representative for the party. And when they get into parliament, they're probably going to do what the party tells them to do. But you're technically just voting for the individual. Right. Um, so you can just, and then again, a couple of ways we, in the first past the post, you're just going to vote for the one person. Okay. We want to make things, um, a little bit more complicated. We can say, um, rather than just voting for Jane Smith, you can look at all the candidates on the ballot and you can rank order the ballot. So rather than just choosing to vote for Jane Smith, you'd say, well, Jane Smith's my first choice. 
and say um, Gord Jones is my second choice and, 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 and so on and so forth. Okay. So that's kind of a different way we can think about kind of voting. Um, and the third kind of thing we can do um, is that rather than voting for Jane Smith, you vote for a party. So you might vote for the NDP or the Liberals. Usually in those systems, you're not going to rank. You're just going to say, you know, I think the NDP is the best, or I think the Greens are the best, or the Liberals, and cast your vote that way. Okay. So that's kind of the different ballot structures we have. Okay. And then we have electoral formula, which is basically the way we go um, from votes to seats. So um, under first past the post, it is still... So, so, so that would be like what happens after the vote. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, it, it sounds a little weird when to say this kind of on the top of it, but it's essentially how you count the votes. Right. Um, do you count until you have somebody who's got more votes than anybody else and then they get elected? Do you count until somebody is 50%? Um, or do you just look at how many votes each party has and give them a percentage based on the votes that that party has? Um, and so there's, there's a wide range of ways. So, each system is going to play around with each of these kind of three things, um, and that this kind of that's going to be what distinguishes the different systems from each other. Okay, gotcha. So, so each system is a different version of these three things. It's a different arrangement of those right. three things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Go. Okay. So first pass <laughs> the, the different system. First pass the post is probably the easiest one because that's what we with know what about. we use, and, yeah. and it actually it's a very simple system. And we've used it since the 50s, since that last... Oh, so we used it before the 50s. We basically had two elections in the 50s in British Columbia where we didn't use it. And that was it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and it, it's... When people were kind of figuring out kind of how to do democracy, um, this is the system that people started with. Are, are we and still figuring that out? We, we are. We are. But people, when like like first started, like, how do we... How can we possibly elect people? It kind of started with the first past the post. Gotcha. So you start district magnitude of one. You break... You're... Your jurisdiction. So, if we're talking about British Columbia, you break the province into however many different little ridings or different little districts as you want seats elected. So, we want 87. Um, so, you break the province into 87 districts. And you try to make sure they have the same number of people in them. Um, in British Columbia, we try to make sure each district has 50,000 people in them. Okay. It's never going to be perfect because, I mean, there are parts of the province that just have so few people in them that to put 50,000 people, like you'd have to have all of Northern British Columbia in right. one district. And the, it, it's too, un, if you're trying to campaign in that district, if you're an MLA trying to serve that district, it just becomes too big. <laughs> um, but we, road we, show. Yeah. But we, we try for 50,000. Yeah. Um, and you get one person elected out of each of these 50,000 person districts. Okay. Um, ballot structure is dead simple. You go into the voting booth, you check the name you like best, um, and you send the ballot in. You don't have multiple votes, as some of the proportional systems will allow. You don't have to rank anything. You don't really need to know anything beyond which candidate you want. And that's um, like you said, you're voting for the person in the yeah. sense that, and the belief is that they're going to take your concerns and your beliefs to the house or whatever with their, like, right? Is that... Perhaps. I mean, it, it depends on what you're thinking. Like, some voters will go in and vote like, I like this person because they are going to tow the party. They're going to do exactly what the party tells them to do and say, like, if I'm a diehard liberal, I just want somebody who's going to say, do what the liberals, what the liberals campaigned on and will listen to the liberal leader and do exactly what they want. So, I mean, you can vote. I, I mean, you, you can come up with your own way of kind of determining who you're going to vote for. Mm -hmm. Some people say, you know, I, I really like Jane Smith 
um, she's an excellent person, will make an excellent MLA. Some people say, if, say, Jane Smith is a new Democrat, will say, I really like the NDP. Just give me somebody who's going to do exactly what the leader of the NDP wants them to do. So you can still have that difference. What about someone who likes a party but doesn't like the person running for that party in their district? Then, then, you're, then, then you're kind of stuck. Um, <laughs> you can either vote for a party you don't like or vote for a person you don't like. Yeah. Um, part of the one of the the more detailed issues that, and something people might complain about with first past the post is you. I mean, you can't kind of once your party is nominated that one person, they're the choice for that party. And there's right. no way, I mean, the party has to go through a process to choose that person, and you might be able to influence that. But once the person's name is on the ballot, I mean, you either vote for that person or you vote for somebody else who's from a different party. Hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's kind of ballot structure, yeah, dead yeah. simple ballot. And then when it comes to counting, it's also dead simple. You, you basically pile up the votes for each candidate, and whoever's pile is the largest, whoever's more votes, wins the seat. And that's, and, and so, yeah, so that's... They win that seat. That's just a straight up fifty percent more. It's right? not fifty percent. No, it's it's more, or it's, it's whatever. What it's a what we call plurality. Basically, if you have more votes than the other candidates, oh, right, 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 you get the seat. Right. You could have thirty thirty five percent of the vote. If nobody else has more than thirty five percent, then you get elected. It can't be fifty because there's more than just two parties. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. In a theoretical world where only yeah. two candidates ran, you'd have to have fifty per- right, percent plus right. one. So, so they, so that person wins that riding. They become an MLA there. Yeah, and then the next thing is, however many who has the most seats or ridings. Yeah, one, and that'll be the same becomes... for every electoral system. Oh, okay. So kind of whoever has the most ridings, whoever either has a majority or the ability to have a majority of MLA support them, they'll get to form government. Okay. So changing the electoral system doesn't change that rule. What it does is change the likelihood that you're going to get one party with a majority of seats in, in the legislature. So really, just pausing for a second on the, the types, we're just going – like if we change first past the post – there will, like you said before, there will be less majority governments. Probably. Probably. Assuming we change to a more proportional system. Okay. Okay. Go on. Okay. So, <laughs> so the next system is, is not a proportional system. It is an alternative vote system. Um, this is the system that, that is kind of closest to first past the post. Um, nothing changes with respect to district magnitude. We still have ridings. We still have one person elected from those ridings. We still have one person running and representing their party in each of those ridings. Okay. What changes is kind of the ballot structure and the electoral formula. So an alternative vote, instead of going in and voting for your preferred candidate, and that's it, and you're done, um, you rank order your candidates. Um, So you have your first preference, your second, your third, your fourth. If you just want to indicate a first in most systems, you're allowed to do that. Australia, because they're a little bit weird and they make everybody kind of do every <laughs> part of voting, make you rank every candidate. But you don't have to do that if you're using an alternative vote system and, and you probably don't want to. Okay. Um, so that so you're voting, the way you're voting changes a little bit. And then your electoral formula changes. So this is the system in which you need 50% to win. And, and in, kind of, in the riding. In the riding, okay. yeah. Um, and so if you look at kind of your different candidates from the riding, if somebody has 35% of the vote and that's the highest, then you take whoever finished last, you eliminate that candidate, 
Okay. And for everybody that voted for the last place candidate, you look at who they had second. Oh, okay. And so, so, you, so the person, so the ballots that had the first vote for the person that lost. Yeah. Their second vote goes to whichever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, hmm. And you, you do that until somebody has at least 50% plus. That five. almost kind of makes sense. I so, mean, all these are going to kind of make sense. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, they, they all have kind of a logic to them. Right. Um, um, the logic behind this is you want to make sure anybody who's elected as an, as an MLA um, has at least 50% of the support of people in their district. All right. Okay. Now, this is not a proportional system, and I think this is an important thing to keep in mind. Um, you can still get very, very um, disproportionate results over this. So to give you like an extreme example... If one party, if their candidates won 50% plus one in every single district, under this system, they would win every seat. If you imagine, <laughs> imagine, let's say, um, let's say you've got the NDP and the Greens, and in some strange universe, 50% of the British Columbia population in every district has voted for either the NDP or the Greens first and put each other and put the other party second then they would have 50%, say the NDP gets 50% plus one in every single district. They'd only have 50% of the vote in the province, but they'd have 50% plus one in every single riding, and they'd win every riding. Hmm. So it wouldn't be proportional. Interesting. So the, these systems, and these systems, uh, um, to go back to kind of the question of what happens after the election, um, they also tend to produce majority governments. Okay. Um, yeah, because they parties that can win kind of a lot of second choice votes and very large parties are more likely to win districts. And if you're a small party, let's say you're the Green Party, um, and you finish third in every district, then you're not going to win any seats. You could win 10% of the vote across the province. If you're always the first party eliminated, then you're going to lose every seat. And you're not going to get any representation. I'm just thinking how this would have worked out with our last election if there was a, if there was a, the ranking system. Yeah. The Greens would be in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you, you, you almost need to, like, I mean, you never can say that a party's not going to win. But in, in the ranking system, it's almost like just deleting that party at the get-go. No? A, a little bit. Sometimes they've got enough in a particular riding. So if you take, say, like Andrew Weaver in Oak Bay. Right. He might have enough, um, kind of enough people might like him that he would still get over 50% in Oak right. Bay. Hmm. So okay. it's not the end. It's not the end of the world for the Greens, but it's probably not very good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, any party under this system that's everybody's second choice has an advantage. Um, the federal liberals, for example, are really advantaged by this system because if you think if you're a conservative voter and you're looking at who you're going to put second in, say, a federal election, mm-hmm. the liberals are likely your choice, right? Same for the NDP, right? Mm-hmm. The NDP, if you're a new Democrat voter, you say, okay, NDP first, who am I going to put second? It's probably going to be the liberal candidate because you might put the green, but the green's probably going to get eliminated early anyways. Um, but um, you're going to look at the conservatives and like, well, they're really far away from me, so I don't want them second. So you got the liberals as the closer party and they're probably a second choice vote. So parties that like are good, parties that are everybody's second choice tend to be advantaged by this kind of system advantaged yeah yeah okay okay and that's not a proportional so that probably won't show up in this referendum because they are 
it's all about proportional. It might. It depends on it depends on how broad the the current government wants to make the referendum, how many options they want to put on the ballot. Okay. Um, in practice, this isn't going to change very much. This um, referendum? No, no, an or, alternative vote system. Oh, right, right. An alternative right. vote system is going to look pretty much like a first-past-the-post system when it comes to which parties you do well and which MLAs or MPs would win. It's going to produce very, very similar results. But it's going to make the people think that they're having more choices, in a sense. Not more choices. Or saying more um, or something. I think it, it actually does make it so that more people contribute to somebody being elected. Okay. Um, yeah. But I mean, it just the reality is that the person who ends up coming first and first past the post can usually pick up enough second choice votes to come first in alternative vote as well. Okay. Okay. Um, so the next one. So if we're going to move to a proportional system, we're going to need to quite significantly change the way things work. The first one that I think is worth explaining is just what's called pure proportional representation. Um, it's generally not talked about as a viable alternative for Canada or for British Columbia. I think it actually deserves more consideration than we sometimes give it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also good. It helps us understand, I think, the way that mixed member proportional, one of the systems that's often talked about for Canada and British Columbia works. Mixed, mixed. mixed member proportional. Okay, we'll do that after. Yeah, so okay. pure proportional representation. Um, we're going to have to increase the district magnitude which means we're going to need more people to be elected out of each district. Now, that doesn't mean we need more politicians. What that usually means is we're going to combine a bunch of districts together. If we want to go crazy, um, we can make the entire province one district. So That's this what is, you're talking about before. Yeah. The, okay, the district magnitude. Yeah, exactly. So this is where we say, look, rather than voting in your individual district in Victoria, you're going to vote in British Columbia. And we're okay. going to take 87 people out of the district of British Columbia and that's how we're going to have our parliament. Most people aren't happy with that because people <laughs> in Victoria don't want to be represented from somebody in Vancouver. People in the interior are often really concerned. This is going to produce a parliament that is full of people from Victoria and Vancouver and have no clue what's going on in the interior. Right. But you don't have to do it like that. You can do it smaller scale. So you can say we're going to make Vancouver a district. And if you win 10% of the vote in Vancouver, you get 10% of the seats out of Vancouver. And we're going to make, okay. say, the southern interior of British Columbia district. And if a party wins 20% of the vote in the southern interior of British Columbia, they get 20% of the seats that you would have in the southern um, interior of British Columbia. Um, if you do it that way, the number of seats in each district wouldn't have to be the same. And it would just be dependent upon um, the population in the district. So Vancouver oh. would have a bunch of seats. Right. Um, because a lot of people living in Vancouver. Victoria would probably have fewer seats, but you might have six or seven. Um, Southern Interior or Northern Interior, they'd have however many seats they do now, but they would just be considered as kind of, rather than being like in Kelowna and Penticton and, 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 and Kamloops, they'd be all from the Southern Interior. Hmm. And you can make this as small or as large as you want. So you could have like West Vancouver and East Vancouver. You could have like the Lower Mainland, you could do Victoria, or you could do Vancouver Island. You can make the districts, however. That that large almost you sounds want. that almost sounds good because you're like it, it's almost like you're you're splitting up into types of groups because people tend to live in an area that kind of suits them exactly and where they feel like they fit right. So you're splitting up all the areas into like-minded individuals. Yeah. Now you got to be careful here because 
like, like especially for me, I, I've lived my entire life in cities, so this has never been a concern for me. Yeah. Um, you can easily make, say, Vancouver or Victoria and say, we can have a bunch of people. And, like, everybody's kind of from Victoria. You can say, look, we're, we're from this region. As soon as you start to go into less densely popular, populated areas, you start to have trouble grouping like-minded people together because there's fewer of them. So you do have mm. people from Kamloops who say, I'm not comfortable being represented from somebody from Kelowna. And that's kind of harder to work <laughs> around because it's only so small you can make the districts right. before they stop being – before essentially you're in a first-past-the-post world. And if you make them smaller with less people in them, then you're giving more power to fewer people. If, you're, if they're electing the same number of people. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. One of the nice things about this is you can do – if you've got a very sparsely populated area, you can say, look, you get three MLAs because you don't have as many people in that district. And if you go to Vancouver, which is more populated, you can say, look, you get 20 MLAs because there's more people in Vancouver. So you can do a bit of that. Um, the danger is the fewer people you're electing out of each riding, the less proportional it gets. Um, so that's kind of always the, the kind of dynamic that, that's at play with this. Yeah. It sounds like if this was – this one was chosen that it's like then there's a lot of work to figure out how to do it that you'd almost have to have a referendum to how to do it <laughs> i i don't think you would it, it does take a lot of work and any yeah. kind of change to proportional system will involve really changing the way we vote right um okay. so that's kind of the district magnitude for your ballot structure you're essentially doing the same thing in first past the post except you're not voting for individuals anymore you're voting for parties Right, okay. So you would vote, rather than going in and voting for Jane Smith, you'd be voting for the NDP. Okay. Um, and each party would produce a list of candidates. We can talk about how they produce that list later. Um, and the NDP win 10%, or say, say the NDP win 10 seats in either the province or in their particular riding. The first 10 names on their list are the people that are elected. They win five seats, first five names on the list. Okay. In the electoral formula, there's lots of complicated ways of figuring this out. <laughs> the general approach is the percentage of the vote in the district or in the province, if it's if we're using the entire province as a district, is the percentage that a party wins. So if we're using just all BC as one district, then if you win, say the NDP wins 20% in British Columbia, they get 20% of the 87 seats in British Columbia. Okay. If we're using just the, the smaller districts, if we're talking about Vancouver as a district, the NDP win 30% of the vote in Vancouver, they get 30% of whatever number of seats you've allocated to Vancouver. Okay. Hmm. Doesn't sound too bad. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's, <laughs> so people tend to... The, 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 the countries that are kind of stereotyped for this system are Israel and the Netherlands because they just use one district. All of Israel is the same district. You don't break it into like Haifa or Tel Aviv. And the same with the Netherlands. You don't distinguish whether you're voting in Amsterdam. And people in Canada don't like that because Canada is geographically it's big. Huge, yeah. yeah. And BC is the same way. Yeah. Um, the countries that use the more regionalized version um, are, say, Denmark or Sweden, where if you're voting in Stockholm, you're voting for a different list of candidates than if you're, say, voting in Gothenburg, which is another city in Sweden. Okay. Um, but you still are – you win 10% of the vote in and, Stockholm. You get 10% of the seats in Stockholm. And when you mean regional, that's more of like how we first pass the post type is a re more regional kind of? It's kind of in between. So the regions are bigger than they would than the districts in first past the post. Okay. But they're not the entire province or the entire country. Okay. So that's proportional. <laughs> okay. That's the pure Pure proportional, proportional yeah. Okay. Or sometimes referred to also as list proportional. List um, the one that's often talked about for, um, 
for Canada and for British Columbia is a system called mixed member proportional. Okay. The idea behind the system is we want kind of the best of both worlds. For this system, you want the regional representation from first past the post and the um, proportionality you get from a list proportional system. Okay, I'll just wait until you explain it. (laughs) We're going to, for district magnitude, you're going to make the ridings um, basically generally about twice as big, but you're only going to still elect one member out of the ridings. And they're going to be elected exactly the way that you would have them elected under first past the post. So the ridings are twice as big. Yeah. And you're electing one person for a double-sized riding. Yeah. And it's elected the same way as first past post. But the difference is, or one of the, the first main difference, when you go to vote, you're going to vote on two ballots. On the first ballot, it's going to look exactly like your first past the post ballot. Your second ballot is going to look exactly like your proportional list ballot. So rather than just voting for Jane Smith of the NDP or voting for the NDP, you're going to have one ballot where you vote for Jane Smith of the NDP and one ballot where you vote for the NDP. And there's no requirement that you vote for the same person in party. So you could vote for Jane Smith of the NDP and you could vote for the Green Party. Sounds like a really great way for voters to really say what they think or feel. To an extent. To an extent. Sounds Um, complicated, though. Yes. The electoral formula is where we kind of try to resolve this complexity. Um, So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to do the first past the post election first. But that's going to produce the disproportionate result that we always get under first past the post. Okay. To compensate that, we're going to add seats to parties until their percentage representation in the legislature is equal to the percentage of the vote that they won on that ballot where you voted for the party. So let's imagine a world, for example, where the Green Party wins, say, 5% of the vote on that second ballot where you voted for the party. But they did really badly in the first past the post part of the ballot. Okay. Um, they never, in no riding, were they able to win a seat. Okay. So and let's, no- let's, to make the math simple, let's pretend this legislature is 100 seats. Because doing 5% of 87 is yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so if you assume 100 seats in the legislature, you would, you would look at the first past the post result. Say, well, the Green Party don't have any seats. You would look at the, um, the, the party vote. And you'd say, well, the Green Party should have... Um, 5% of the seats. And so you give the Green Party five seats so that they would get their 5%. If a party, say, did really well on, on the first-past-the-post vote, let's say they win 30 seats in first-past-the-post, 30 out of 100, and let's say they also win 30% of the vote, you wouldn't give them any extra seats. Because in that world, say the NDP win 30 first-past-the-post seats, they win 30% of that party vote. You look at the legislature, say, well, based on the party vote, we need 30 New Democrats in the legislature. You look at the first-past-the-post results, we have 30 New Democrats in the legislature, we're good. They are proportionally represented. Okay. So what you're essentially doing is you're adding seats to each party um, until until their representation is equal to what they should have under a proportional system. So they might not have won any seats, but they'll get seats because people want them. Because people voted for them, essentially. Right. But they didn't win a riding, yeah. which is why they didn't get a seat. But they'll still get seats because people still voted, per- essentially, percentage-wise. Yeah. Essentially, if you're a party oh, okay. that gets... An, 
you get enough votes that you still win a, a sizable percentage of the party, like two, mm-hmm. five, ten percent, whatever. But you just don't get enough votes in any particular riding to win a ride in. Mm-hmm. This system compensates you for that. Which seems to kind of make sense. I mean, like I say, all of these systems <laughs> kind of make sense. Uh, let's drop single transferable vote because it's really complicated. And, and I don't think is going to be one that's kind of put, is, is considered very heavily for this system. So, okay. Yeah. So I think that's probably. Okay. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll stick, we'll stick with that for now. And then we'll uh, chat again um, about what's kind of going on in BC here. And I'm going to have to listen to this and then I'm going to have some questions for you for, for another <laughs> time to be like, okay, I understand that a little bit, but I need more clarification now. So, um, yeah, I, my brain's a little melted now. Okay. I'm just going to have to think about it for a bit, uh, and dig into what you've said so far. So thanks for coming. All right. Thank and, you for having uh, me. Yeah. And we'll chat again. All right. Thanks Sounds a lot. Good. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks for listening to this episode with Daniel Westlake. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you learned something new and useful once again. I'm going to throw up our following chat pretty quick here as we get into what's going on with the plans for our BC referendum in the fall and the process that goes into having one and what our government is doing right now to prepare us for it. And I hope that all of you share this with as many people as you can because This is one of those monumental moments in BC politics where we all have a say in determining how this province is is going to be run for years to come. And it's very important for us to educate ourselves and to know that we need to be educated about this and that, that it's actually happening. So with all that said, I hope you enjoyed it and I look out for the next episode. Um, If you want to donate a couple bucks for a coffee, a couple more for a beer, or even a small chunk of change that might help go towards expenses, we'd love you to bits for it. Just click on one of the links in the episode description or drop by the website to do so at www.governthis.ca. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So drop by the website and leave a comment or hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash govern this and tell us what you think of the podcast. Even leave us a question or a topic you might want us to cover in the future and like it and share it. Uh, I really want to get us all educated on this stuff um, as I learn as I go. Feel free to give us a shout on Twitter at we govern this or shoot us an email at we at govern So if you like what you've heard and you think it's important, please share this with as many people as you can. Hopefully we can all become a little more aware and involved. So until next time, stay curious.